We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Now, from the most powerful city in the world, a new generation of conservative talk. Fair, fresh, fun. It's the Guy Benson Show with Guy Benson. It is Friday, September 24th, 2021. Welcome to the Guy Benson Show. I'm your host, Guy Benson, broadcasting from our glittering new studios in Washington, D.C. Glad to have you here every weekday, 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time and around the clock if you want the podcast, which is always on demand and free, GuyBensonShow.com. Many ways to listen live, including on our great affiliates through GuyBensonShow.com, the Fox News app, Fox Nation, our friends at Odyssey.com, A-U-D-A-C-Y. Check me out this weekend. Programming note, I'll be on the panel Fox News Sunday with our guest who's coming up here in just a moment. You can guess who he is. Also later in the show, Jessica Tarloff will join us. Trey Yinkst, a conversation from Kabul, Afghanistan. You absolutely do not want to miss this interview. It is extraordinary. That's in our final hour, the 5 p.m. hour here on The Guy Benson Show. Fox News alert as we get going. Let's bring you stats as we do every day. Confirmed COVID cases in the United States all in 42.6 million, with the real number being much higher than that. The death toll in this country from COVID now 684,488. The Dow is in the green right now. It's up 11 points, trading at 34,776. And we're just about 52 minutes away from the closing bell for the week up in New York. And joining me here in studio... Directly across from me is Chris Wallace, the anchor of Fox News Sunday. You can follow that show at Fox News Sunday on Twitter. Check your local listings on your local Fox station. You can watch replays on FNC. He's also a best-selling author. His new book that he has here in studio with us, and if you're watching on the Fox Nation live stream, you can see the cover of it, or you will when it cuts to him. And the title of that book is Countdown Bin Laden, The Untold Story of the 247-day hunt to bring the mastermind of 9-11 to justice. And, Chris, it is such a pleasure to see you in person for the first time in 18 months or so, I I was going to say, a year and a half. I, 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 I thought I'd gotten out of jail, but no, I'm back with you. So <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> Countdown Bin Laden, how's it doing? Just a totally compelling read, and I think it's fair to say the definitive account of how we got Bin Laden. Well— Thank you for that. Uh, it's doing great. It's the number two for the second week in a row, the number two book in the New York Times bestseller list, both hardcover and ebook, um, you know, which is nice. Uh, but I'm really proud of the book and I'm very pleased by the reception it's gotten. It's a history thriller. It, you know, you know how it ends, but the people, I get a lot of emails from people at two o'clock in the morning saying, I couldn't put it down, darn you, I just finished it. Uh, and, and, you know, that that the last hundred pages, they were just on the edge of their seat because they wanted to see what happened next. There are surprises, things that have not been said before, told before, people who haven't talked before. Um, it, it, it's a good book. It, you know, it just is. I'm proud of it. 
Countdown Bin Laden by Chris Wallace, our guest, available for sale right now. Chris, I want to play a couple sound bites for you. The president finally deigned to answer some questions today. It had been a while. And he was asked about the border. This alleged whipping, quote-unquote, incident, of course, came up, and he decided to kind of lean into it and go nuclear to a certain extent. Here he is in cut seven. It was horrible what to see, as you saw. To see people treated like they did, horses barely running them over, people being strapped, it's outrageous. I promise you those people will pay. They will be an investigation underway now, and there will be consequences. There will be consequences. It's an embarrassment, but it's beyond an embarrassment. It's dangerous. It's wrong. It sends the wrong message around the world. It sends the wrong message at home. It's simply not who we are. The vice president, Kamala Harris, was on The View. A bit of a bumpy start to that show today. We'll play that audio later. She echoed this line, cut 19. I've been very clear about the images that you and I both saw of those law enforcement officials on horses. I, I, I was outraged by it. I, it was horrible and, um, and, and deeply troubling. There's been now an investigation that is being conducted, which I fully support, and there needs to be consequence and accountability. Uh, they, human beings should not be treated that way, and as we all know, it also evoked images of some of the worst moments of our history, where that kind of behavior has been used against the indigenous people of our country has been used against African-Americans during times of slavery. And um, so I'm glad to, to know that, that Ali Mayorkas, the secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, is taking it very seriously. And moments ago, the aforementioned Mayorkas was at the White House at the podium and talking about systemic racism and how horrified he was by all of this. And Chris, I feel like I'm losing my mind because I've watched the videos, I've looked at the images, the photographer who took the famous photograph has now come out and said, we didn't see any whipping, the photo is being misconstrued, Border Patrol says there was no whipping, there were no whips, but it has, this talking point has just been willed into existence that Border Patrol was out there whipping Haitian illegal immigrants and the president is denouncing it, you know, from the very highest level, the biggest bully pulpit in the world, have you seen any evidence that people were whipped? No, uh, but I have seen the guy, the Border Patrol, using their horses to intimidate and 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 push back people. I l- let me go with my big point, and then I'll get to the to the whipping in, in the in the first place. I, when I was hearing the clip of the president, he was talking about this is embarrassing. Uh, it, it's uh, wrong, and it sends the wrong signal to the world. Yeah, I was thinking he really should be saying that about our immigration policy and the fact that 15,000 people came across this dam into Del Rio and then were had to spend days, more than a week, in squalor under this bridge. I mean, to me, that is the real shame here is our immigration policy and that it allows people to come over. It doesn't just stop them. And, and that's what I think the real focus ought to be on. Yes, the, the, the horse story, the, the Border Patrol CBP on horseback uh, has become a story. I happen to think it's, a, it's bad. Forget the whipping for a second. And, and I, I understand that's one of the allegations, and there do, doesn't seem to be true. And the president shouldn't have talked about strapping as he did because that's another word for whipping. I don't think that, that the Border Patrol, they ought to be able to find a way to keep people from coming across the border 
Build a fence. Yeah, a wall, maybe? Yeah, I was going to say, build a fence, build a wall, have, a, have some kind of a gate so they can't walk across that dam uh, over the um, Rio Grande into Del Rio. I'm, I don't know that I think the idea of guys on horseback stopping migrants from coming by rushing at them, bull rushing them with the horses, forget whether there were whips or not. I don't think that's right either. Although, I find that I find that offensive. Really? Yes. I mean, police I do. police departments use horses and crowd control in the United States but against citizens a, all the time. But this is this is a different thing. This is people coming across the border illegally. Uh, I understand. I'm not saying they should be allowed across the border. Right. I'm saying there ought to be a less offensive way to do it, like putting up barriers or a wall. I that's all I'm saying. When it comes, I, I I think the idea, and you know, I don't think that you usually see. Horses in crowd control, racing, running at these people uh, the way that they were in, in, in American cities, the way they were at the border with these Haitians. Yeah, I, I think we can get into the specifics of crowd control and police tactics and law enforcement I happen to tactics. think that's missing the point. I do, too. Good. And I think it's actually the goal of the administration for us to miss the point, which right. is the crisis. Over so let's which, not. Let's focus on the real well, news. I, I agree. It's just I think to me during the last president – he was criticized a lot for making things up and not saying things that were in alignment with actual facts. And I think why I'm so bothered about the whipping stuff, even though I'm taking the bait from the administration, is that it's just not true, but I, they keep saying it. I, a lot I, of the media I agree, seems I agree to about the whipping, it. but I don't think that that lets the Border Patrol off the hook because I think the whole use of horses was wrong. Okay. That's the point I'm making. But I, again, I think that we're, that we're missing the point, which is the the real problem here is that it was allowed to happen because of the negligence of the Biden border policy. I mean, here's the problem I have with with Biden talking about a more humane policy. So they say we're going to have a more humane policy. We're going to we're going to roll back remain in Mexico. And the result of rolling back remain in Mexico is that it entices it. It, it, it says to people trying to come across illegally and illegally is a big deal that it's okay to come across the border, and if you have to wait for weeks or months or years, in some cases, to have your your immigration hearing, you'll be able to do it from the comfort of being in the United States. I think it actually would be more humane to say to them, "No, you don't 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 come over, don't be huddle under the bridge, stay in Mexico, or don't come up at all." Because I I think this half door open policy is creating a lot of problems that that a stricter policy wouldn't. And we have 1.5 million known border encounters this fiscal year and counting so far, plus hundreds of thousands of known gotaways. What's happening? The policy is failing. The whip stuff is a a sideshow. Right. So let stop talking they about are, the whips. The policy is a mess. Right, I agree with I you. I think that's why they are happy to repeat the lie about whipping is because you and I will sit here talking uh, no, about it. You will sit here. I'm not, ta- I'm not talking about the well, whipping. But the president is. The vice president okay, is. But and then so let's, we're all right, fact-checking we've, we've covered it. Let's move on to the policy. And I think the po- real problem is the policy. The policy is wrong. And, and you know, I, I just watched some of my orcas. Maybe this is why I'm spun up about it because he said that we inherited a broken system and we got to fix it. They're not fixing it. And and he talks about, well, comprehensive immigration reform. We all know 
there's not going to be comprehensive immigration reform. I agree there should be, but there isn't going to be just as a matter of political reality. So find measures that you can use that will alleviate the system. And part of it is, as an American, I'm offended at this open door that's allowing people to come in, 15,000. Wouldn't you think somewhere, it, it turns out that in Del Rio, he said this for the first time, since September 9th, they've had 30,000 people come across the border. Wouldn't you think somewhere between a hundred or a thousand and thirty thousand, you'd have said, okay, let's stop it. And what they inherited, obviously not a perfect system by any stretch, but the numbers weren't anywhere close to this in the last administration. So just to say, oh, well, you know, this is a broken process. So what can we do? Uh, that doesn't hack it. Do you have anyone from the Biden White House on Fox News Sunday this weekend? Because I, I saw some people last weekend saying they offered no one from the national security team after the admission of the, the drone strike that killed seven children are they offering up people? We don't to- know. Uh, you know, we have asked for uh, Mr. Mayor- Secretary Mayorkas, and we're interested to see whether they're going to make him available or not. We do know we're going to have an exclusive interview with the governor of Texas, Greg Abbott. So we'll discover, uh, discuss the issue at length. We'll also have a report from on the ground at the border. Um, and we're hoping to have somebody from the administration that we can ask some of these very good questions about. I, you know, the thing about... <laughs> I'm not going to contradict myself about the whipping. Oh, Chris. They won't even discuss. I mean, somebody asked, well, what is it that you think they did wrong? And Mayorkas wouldn't even say what they did wrong. I, I think, happen to think the horses was wrong. The whipping seems to have but been But they should at least invention. have an answer to that when they're saying they're horrified. They're treating it like a, a crime against humanity. And they also didn't make a clear uh, uh, in Mayorkas, the part of the news conference I saw, as to how many of these people from Del Rio – have actually been released into the United States to wait for processing. Yes, they're supposed to see an immigration judge, but that can, as I say, take years. Over on Capitol Hill, just you know, steps from where we sit right now, Democrat leaders are having a real whale of a time wrangling votes for a number of different issues. You've got the reconciliation package. You've got the debt ceiling. You've got this bipartisan infrastructure bill. They're putting out statements. They're making noises about progress, but I'm not sure if the progress is is concrete or tangible yet. How do you see this playing out, or is this truly fluid? Well, it's it's absolutely fluid. There's no question about it. Um, they definitely are not going to have a government shutdown. The the Democrats are the controlling party, the governing party. They control both houses as well as the White House. There's not a chance that they're going to have a government shutdown on Friday morning. Uh, debt ceiling, they're not going to go into default. Somehow that'll get settled. The the, the big question are the $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill and the spending bill, which is now at $3.5 trillion. I suspect it'll be less. You know, I, it's absolutely fluid. And I only say this because as a political realist, I don't see how the Democrats with control can't come up with a compromise. It may be a lot less than Bernie Sanders want, a lot more than Joe Manchin want. There's got to be some number between one and a half trillion and three and a half trillion, which is where they both are, that they could both hold their nose and agree to. Because it seems to me you put the Democrats in charge and they can't pass their own president's agenda. That is a catastrophe, and I a feel political like catastrophe. Pelosi feels like she can't let that happen. And right. she's generally pretty good at whipping the votes a different kind of whipping. <laughs> yeah, uh, Chris Wallace. Really? we got to use it? I feel like, so you're too young to get the reference, but I'm sure some of your listeners were, and Groucho Marx, it used to be a magic word. And when you said the magic word, a duck would come down with the magic word. That obviously today, it's whipping. Last question, very <laughs> yes, briefly. Sir. The least important question you'll get all week. We had a poll here. 
on the show, and we had Jesse Waters weigh in and our colleague uh, Jimmy Fallon weigh in, and then we posted it on, on, on Twitter as well. Of the male correspondents here at Fox News, the question was, who has the best hair? It was Peter Ducey, it was Matt Finn, it was Bill Malugin. Malugin won. Thousands of people voted. Malugin won by a 17-point margin. Chris, I have to ask you, did the people get it right in your mind? Say it again. It was Peter Ducey, Malugin, and... And Matt Finn. No, Malugin. I, I agree with Malugin. You know, I sometimes <laughs> I look at Malugin and I think, if I had looked like him, there would have been no stopping me. I might have been a success in this business. <laughs> <laughs> well, you are a success because you've got a, a huge I could have show. been somebody. And you've got a number two best-selling book in the country. Yeah, Countdown, well, let's make it number one. Countdown Bin Laden. Countdown Bin Laden by Chris Wallace. My guest will be watching Fox News Sunday this Sunday. I'll be on the panel. Looking forward to it, Chris. That, that's a ratings booster right there. <laughs> let's hope. It's the Guy Benson Show. We'll be right back. Fresh conservative talk. Guy Benson Show. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. I'm Ben Domenech, publisher of The Federalist, and I'm inviting you to join a new conversation with the smartest thinkers out there about the country and where we're going. Subscribe to the Ben Domenech Podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. I'm Guy Benson, back on The Guy Benson Show. Earlier this week... We welcome back to the show Glenn Youngkin, who is the Republican nominee for governor in Virginia. And it's a pretty close race. A number of polls had his opponent, Democrat Terry McAuliffe, narrowly ahead. There's a new poll out this week that shows Youngkin, among likely voters, pulling into the lead by five points, which is outside the margin of error in that particular poll. There's a Washington Post poll out a couple days before that that had McAuliffe up by three. Although what's interesting about that Washington Post poll, even though McAuliffe is up by three in it, the internals, the crosstabs show the Republicans making huge gains in the exurbs, sort of like the far flung suburbs of Washington, D.C., where they were getting crushed. Right. They turned very blue in recent years. But Yunkin's ahead by double digits in some of those counties like Loudoun County, Virginia, where a lot of this school stuff is happening. School closures, critical race theory, wokeness. Yunkin is ahead by double digits now in that neck of the woods. And among independents who voted heavily for Joe Biden have trended towards the Democrats in the state of Virginia. Yunkin has an eight point lead among independents. That's in the Washington Post poll that still had a top line of the Democrats ahead by just a handful of points. What's interesting today, here's the new update. And this is, I think, a really must watch race. The Cook political report has shifted that race from a lean Democrat ranking to a toss up rating. Based on the national environment, the deterioration of Joe Biden's standing, and we'll talk about that in much more detail coming up in the next segment. Biden is really sucking wind across the country. And then some internal polls and indications shared with Cook and that operation. The team there has decided this is no longer a lean Democrat race. It's a toss-up race. 
out of the gates and ready to go. Hey, it's Hutton with Row. Hot Mike is here on the Outkick Network. We've got your afternoon covered with the latest sports discussion, and it's available wherever you find your audio. Daily analysis and news. He is hot. I am Mike. Actually, my <laughs> name is Chad. His name is Jonathan, but you get the picture. We're going to bring it every single day. Whatever you want to call us, we'll respond to. We just want you to respond to what we're dishing out every day. And while you're here, we hope you subscribe to the podcast, like, subscribe, and share. It is a turnout race in Virginia. And if Republicans and right-leaning independents show up in force, it's winnable. And that would send a chill down the spine of Democrats for 2022. We'll talk about Joe Biden when we come back. Get this and all your favorite Fox News podcasts ad-free on Apple Podcasts with Fox News Podcasts Plus. Just go to foxnewspodcasts.com for all the details. Talking about the issues you care about, Guy Benson. We return to the Guy Benson Show. Thank you for listening. If you missed it, our opening segment, we hosted Chris Wallace of Fox News Sunday. We were talking about immigration And Chris seemed a little bit flummoxed, maybe perturbed by my repeated questions about this whole whipping so-called controversy. And I think the reason that it bothers me so much, and I kept coming back to it, is the president of the United States and the vice president of the United States are leading a smear on Border Patrol, alleging that something happened that didn't happen. A bunch of journalists and leftists just decided through this weird online hive mind that Border Patrol was running around on horseback whipping illegal immigrants as they crossed into the country illegally. There were no whips. There was no whipping. And yet that is what was said. And the president used a synonym again today for whipping as he denounced Border Patrol in tones and terms that were much more indignant and angry and hostile than I've ever heard him direct, for example, at the Taliban. He sounded so angry, it was almost as if he was talking about Ron DeSantis. President Unity, President Healing, seems to reserve his sharpest criticism for political opponents domestically. And in this case, for law enforcement officers in his own executive branch of government, whom he's attacking for doing something that they did not do. And I mean, it's it's just wild to watch this. I said yesterday, I feel like I'm going crazy. I feel like it's getting worse. They are doubling and tripling down on something where now they're like invoking slavery. I guess they got that talking point from Maxine Waters. So they're likening this to slavery. And Mayorkas today was talking about systemic racism. And Biden was talking about how these guys were strapping, i.e. whipping immigrants, did not happen. And he said they have to pay. He's talking about Border Patrol. I don't remember him saying anything like that, for example, as I just mentioned about the Taliban. They have to pay. He said there's an investigation, but they have to pay. There will be consequences. So he's already decided what his answer is on the investigation that's ongoing. He has rendered a verdict based on facts not in evidence at all. And what Chris Wallace was saying was, well, the the whole use of horses was offensive to him. 
I don't necessarily see it that way. I don't know if there's a better way to do it. I would hope there would be. But I don't think that using horses as a part of crowd control, especially when you're involving illegal immigrants, were these immigrants being harmed? Was there some sort of assault taking place? I don't see that in the evidence. And Wallace pointed out correctly that Mayorkas couldn't quite explain what was so horrible. This is the question that I wish Biden would get asked. I mean, he doesn't take many questions at all. In fact, I've got something to share with you here in just a moment on that. But Kamala Harris shows up on The View and she's preening about this. Biden is furrowing the brow to the extent that he can and is mad about it. Big, big mad. It's just terrible. These people have to pay. There will be consequences. Horrifying. What was horrifying specifically? Describe it. Describe in your own words what was so terrible that was done that justifies this language, let alone this investigation and putting people on administrative you know, desk jobs for the moment and pulling horses out of the sector altogether and vowing that they're going to pay with consequences. Please explain why. What is it? Don't talk about the images being disturbing. Don't use euphemisms. Don't be vague about it. No, specifically in detail, tell us. I don't think they can because the basis of this entire thing is made up. And as opposed to fact-checking the president and the administration and the people who are pushing this, the media has been, in many cases, leading the charge in spreading the misinformation. And they are smearing the men who are at the border on those horses just trying to do their jobs. And the officials at the top of that organization say they were doing what they were trained to do. And Mayorkas himself, the DHS secretary, admitted as much on day one of the controversy, before he realized what the party line was going to be, before he was told, no, no, we're gaslighting this way, we're doing a giant lie about this, and here's how we're handling it. Before that memo came down from on high, before that hive mind whipped into high gear, Mayorkas, I guess, was unaware of that, and he accidentally spilled the truth, which is, in the New York Post report, he said that they didn't see anything immediately offensive or problematic about what happened. And that there were no whips. And yet here we are. It's it's a very creepy. It, it comes back to the word that I used yesterday with Molly Hemingway about the Hunter Biden emails and the laptop, how they just made that story go away. They just determined, they asserted that it was Russian disinformation and extremely dangerous and could not be shared. And was not true and was not legitimate. This is the opposite, where they've taken something that didn't happen and they've spun it into this alternate reality that doesn't actually exist, alternative facts. It's actually pretty scary that they can do this. And the president can stand up there and say and talk about whipping when there's no evidence. In fact, there's counter evidence. I I referenced it with Chris Wallace, the photographer The news photographer who took the photos that became iconic and spread and sort of started, launched the whole whipping lie, he's come out and said, no, that's being misconstrued. There was no whipping. We saw no whipping. Doesn't matter. The president's now saying it. And rather than pushing back against that and saying, what the hell are you talking about, Mr. President? Many, many people in the press are just going with it. They're going with the flow because they're activists. 
Like, well, this is our narrative. These are our talking points. And, you know, an apple's an apple, a banana's a banana, and a whip, even if it's imaginary, is a whip. Strangely, we have not seen furious fact checks forthcoming on this, even though it is besmirching wrongly the agents involved and turning like the power of the American government and the outrage of so many people in this country, powerful people, the influencers in this country, they've turned the outrage at the people who are already beleaguered and overwhelmed at the border trying to protect, trying to protect the border from this unprecedented decades high blowout surge in illegal immigration. Their morale is low, they're exhausted, they're overwhelmed, and now they're maligned based on lies from the very top of the government with very few journalists doing anything to hold the president and others to account for spreading the lies. They're helping with the spreading of the lies. They're not, they're not mad about the disaster at the border. They're not mad about the thousands of illegal immigrants who are just being released into the country. Mallorca said today, we have no idea if they were sick with COVID. Great. They're not mad about that. They're mad at Border Patrol based on a figment of their imagination that is made up. And it's like they all looked at each other and said, "Uh uh-oh, we're already knee-deep in this BS. Maybe we should call it horse S in this case. What are we going to do? Do we correct the record? Do we try to restore just some little semblance of credibility and honesty here? No. Let's triple down. Let's, Let's keep pretending that it happened. Maybe we'll get some people fired for this. For this thing that didn't happen. That's why I'm talking about it. That's why I think it's significant. And yes, of course, it is a distraction from the failure itself, which they don't want to deal with or grapple with or confront in a serious way. So here we are talking about an alternate reality that they have conjured from nothing from photographs that were misseen by a few blue check marks and turned into a new fake truth that has been fully embraced by no less than the president of the United States himself. Now, earlier this afternoon, the president was meeting with the prime minister of India, Prime Minister Modi. And there's video of him sitting down In the Oval Office, these two leaders and Biden, I just tweeted this at Guy P. Benson on Twitter. Here's what Biden says to his Indian counterpart, because I guess he's still burned by Boris Johnson, the UK prime minister, daring to answer questions from a free press in the Oval Office the other day, which made Biden look ridiculous because he sat there refusing to take questions when Boris had done so from the British press. So not making that mistake a second time, Biden says this to Modi, quote, the Indian press is much better behaved than the American press. With your permission, could you not answer questions? Because they, meaning the U.S. press, won't ask any questions on point. If you just sort of change the inflection and the and the voice just a little bit, it sounds an awful lot like another president, doesn't it? They're very badly behaved. They're like a a pack of animals. They will ask very nasty, very mean questions. Let's not take any, right? If that's what Trump were saying to a foreign leader to avoid questions from the press, which Trump almost never did, by the way. He took every question, sometimes too many questions, but he took them. This is a, a positively Trumpian 
statement to get out of answering questions, more questions, because I guess he had his, you know, weekly fill of what, like four earlier in the day. The Indian press is much better behaved than the American press. Let's not answer questions because they won't ask any questions that are on point. Right, Joe Biden, This he does this all the time. He does this to Peter Ducey and has for years now. He decides questions that he doesn't like that are anywhere close to professional or adversarial, like the questions that a Republican would get every single day from this media. Anything approaching that in the mind of Joe Biden is an illegitimate bad question that's not on point. So to punish the badly behaved American press corps, he doesn't want to take these questions. Because they won't ask him the questions that he wants to be asked. Can you imagine how thin-skinned you have to be if you are Joe Biden and you believe that this media is too hostile to you? These people all voted for him. These are all a bunch of progressives. The way that he's governing the country right now is so bad on so many different fronts There's no way for them to get around occasionally asking a challenging question. It's still much more polite, far fewer interruptions, far less sort of showboating for the cameras to, you know, speaking truth to power, look at me, give me a book deal. I'm part of the resistance. We're not seeing that. We're getting like, you know, six out of 10 questions on the hostile scale or the pointed scale. And crabby Grandpa Joe can't handle it doesn't want to do it anymore. So he's telling foreign leaders that our press, this press, are too badly behaved for his liking. And they don't ask the questions that he wants that are on point. So we're not going to take any. And then he didn't. The polling is not good for President Biden. And it shouldn't be. In some respects, I say it should be worse. The Des Moines Register poll out in Iowa, that's the gold standard poll, In the Hawkeye state, they show Biden's job approval this week had fallen 12 percentage points since June 12. He's now at 31 percent approval in Iowa, 62 percent disapproval. In that heartline battle, in that heartland battleground state that Barack Obama won twice, Joe Biden was on a ticket that carried Iowa twice. And he's now at 3162 approval in Iowa. Marquette has a national poll showing Biden's approval dropped by 10 points in recent months, so down double digits. A 28-point swing in the wrong direction, the bad direction, among independents in that poll. Gallup has Biden's approval rating plunging 11 net points since last month. He's now at 43% approval. He's underwater by double digits. And the Cook political report that we Reference in the last segment on the Virginia governor's race, which is now a toss up. They report this, quote, private polling is now picking up double digit drops in Biden performance in competitive House seats. So I know the White House thinks that they're geniuses by having Kamala Harris somewhere in a bunker, I guess. I don't know where they typically have her. She came out for the view today. Did not go well. Stay tuned for that. And Joe Biden, they're like, let's just not do questions. Meanwhile, the actual events that are happening in this country are speaking for themselves, and Biden has no coherent response to them, if any response at all. And he's sending out, you know, Blinken and Mayorkas and these guys to try to put lipstick on this ever-growing pig that is the Biden 
administration's governance of this country on multiple fronts. And the American people, despite the protection from the press, despite the let's hide the president approach from the White House, the American people are reacting based on reality. And this guy's approval rating has plunged by double digits. Now, when we come back, I'm actually going to give out the phone number. I want to take some of your phone calls today. I have a specific question to ask you. I will ask the question and give you the phone number as soon as we come back. It's the Guy Benson Show. You're listening to Guy Benson. Fox Nation presents podcasts, Women of the Bible Speak. I'm Shannon Bream, host of Fox News at Night and author of the new book, Women of the Bible Speak, the wisdom of 16 women and their lessons for today. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, foxnewspodcast.com, or wherever you download your podcasts. I'm Guy Benson. Welcome back. Well, we haven't taken phone calls from the audience in a hot minute here at the program, and that is about to change. Here's our toll-free telephone number here at The Guy Benson Show. It's 833-456-1300. You can write it down, 833-456-1300. We just ran through some of my frustrations with President Biden, his significantly falling approval rating in key swing states, nationally and even at the battleground district level. He's down double digits. And you think about what he's been up to, the Afghanistan debacle, Stranding Americans and breaking that promise to American citizens and legal residents and U.S. allies. All of the mixed messaging and and sort of butchered policies on COVID vaccine mandates, I think all the way back to the Georgia and Texas laws on elections where Biden was saying this is worse than Jim Crow. Jim Crow on steroids, just totally playing the race card in a horrible way. He got the all-star game pulled out of Atlanta by endorsing that a president of the United States. It's just been a steady stream of things that for me have diminished my view of him significantly. I did not vote for him. I did not think he was going to be a good president who was going to do stuff that I liked. I did not think he was going to be this terrible on so many things. And apparently my view is shared by a lot of people because his approval rating is down, as I said, double digits. So here's the question for you. At 833-456-1300, of all of it, and I know there's a, a wide buffet at this point of options, a buffet of failure and frustration with the president of the United States, Joe Biden. What is the single thing that has bothered you the most that he's done? It could be Afghanistan. It could be COVID related. It could be the border. I mean, again, the list is long. And there's a lot of sort of broad-based discontent right now, but I want to hear specifically, what is the one thing, policy, action, statement, whatever it is from Joe Biden that bothers you the most? 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. Toll-free connection to The Guy Benson Show. Your calls coming up live straight ahead. Don't go anywhere. New from the Fox News Podcasts Network. My name is Kennedy, and welcome to my podcast, which will, I humbly say, single-handedly save the world. You're welcome. It's Kennedy Saves the World. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. 
Live from the most powerful city in the world, unconventional talk from a fresh, unconventional conservative, Guy Benson Show. Brand new hour on this Friday here on the Guy Benson Show. I'm Guy Benson. Thank you for listening. GuyBensonShow.com is our website. The podcast is free every day. You don't want to miss next hour my interview with Trey Yingst, who is in Afghanistan right now. He's going to tell us what he's seeing. He's going to break some news. It's a must listen. That's coming up in the next hour. Fox News alert as we begin this hour. The Dow closes the week up 32 points today, ending at 34,798. Well, as we concluded our previous hour, I put out the phone number here at the show, 833-456-1300. And I asked a pretty straightforward question with all of the messes right now underway in this country over which Joe Biden is presiding, and I think he's heavily responsible for a number of them. There are a lot of reasons to be upset with President Biden. His approval ratings have slid significantly. And I could list off, as I did, maybe six or seven reasons why, maybe more. My question for you is this, which of these things bothers you the most? What action or failure or policy or crisis or statement, whatever you want to frame it as, what thing in this Biden presidency is what bothers you the very most? And as soon as I asked the question, like every phone line full. So there will be openings as we take these calls at 833-456-1300. Let's get straight to your phone call starting Out west in Sacramento, California, Lori, you are first on The Guy Benson Show. Hi, Guy. Um, I don't think that there's one single issue, as most people probably think, but the thing that hurts my heart the most is the way that we have um, turned our backs on our um, allied and co-fighters and everybody in Afghanistan, not to mention the American people, the NGOs the rest of it. I think it's despicable. It is. I mean, I think if I had to answer, I'm sort of tipping my own hand here as we start this call topic. I think I agree with you, even though Afghanistan was probably not in my top 10 issues coming into this election. What we have done, the way we've done it over there and the broken promise, Joe Biden made promises on behalf of the entire country and then broke them. And in some ways, that's a reflection on the country. And it it angers me and it my heart bleeds for the people who were stuck there and Lori, wait till you hear the interview next hour with with trey yingst who's in kabul if you feel that way already i think you're going to feel even more strongly after we talk to trey next hour Lori sacramento good call kicking us off 833-456-1300 833-456-1300 al in new jersey my home state al welcome to the show thank you guy um, it's hard to pick which disaster you really want to talk about. But one that's probably not getting talked about a lot is inflation, uh, the economy, um, and the general lack of availability of goods and services. Um, go to any store. You know, look at the supermarket shelves. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of them are empty. Um, backlogs on deliveries. Um, it's just one thing after another. And I, I guess it's all kind of tied to his policies. I'd like to get your thoughts on that. Yeah, I think that it's a good point because those of us who are 
extremely involved in politics and follow current events very closely, right? We're like, okay, let's talk about Afghanistan. And, and we covered that almost, you know, around the clock. And we did it sometimes all three hours on this show in, in the heat of that withdrawal and, and the mess over there, that fiasco. And then, you know, we're talking about the border crisis and all of that. I think to the average person, Al, who may not be hyper political and isn't tuned into the news, to see the price of almost everything going up, to have that pinch their own family's economics, their pocketbook, so to speak, and to struggle to even get some of those goods and services with you know labor shortages, that is something that really impacts families in this country in a way that hurts. And I think it is absolutely astute and correct for you to bring it up as one of the first points made on this topic. So, Al, good call. We're two for two, I think, on these calls. 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. What bothers you the most about this president and his administration so far? Preet is listening in Georgia. Preet, I'm glad you called. Hey, guy. I am so frustrated when media repeatedly keeps demonizing America and Americans for not stopping illegals from crossing over. Our border agents are putting their lives in danger every day, and they keep getting bad publicity. Your thoughts? Well, yeah, I mean, and, and as I said earlier today, the president himself is leading this latest smear on border agents on this fake whipping lie. And it, it really does, to me at least, Preet, it feels like people at the highest levels of this government in the Biden administration are more upset about this fake story than they've ever conveyed or evinced anger or frustration or indignance about the problem itself, which is this massive border crisis that's been going on for months, right? Preet in Georgia, appreciate the call. Let's see, 833-456-1300. So we've got a vote for Afghanistan. We've got a vote for the economy and inflation. We've got a vote now for the border crisis and the demonizing of border agents. Up next in the queue is Neil in Delaware, the president's home state. Neil, thanks for calling the show. I can't stand the lying. I agree. Which lies in particular? Oh, my God. Where do I begin? Um, Let's see. Uh, Camilla is going to handle the southern border crisis. Um, the whip uh, 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 from the border agent on the horse. Um, yep. Shall I go on? Well, and, and one example that I thought of, because I was trying to really rack my brain about this, and I had sort of cooled off a little bit with distance from the whole Jim Crow on steroids lie that he told about Georgia's election law. That was about as gross as anything that I've ever seen from an American president. And this was supposed to be like Mr. Decency, Mr. Honesty. Even if you don't agree with him, he's pretty moderate. He's going to bring the country together. He's not going to do all the awful, gross things that Donald Trump did. But the lies and the demonization and the demagoguery, it has been a barrage from Joe Biden. And maybe this is, let me ask you, Neil, how long have you lived in Delaware? Well, only about five years, four years. I I am originally a New Jersey resident. Okay, because I was just wondering, you know, Biden represented that state for, you know, whatever it was, 80 years in the Senate. 
Is this Joe Biden the same guy that you've always sort of thought of, or has he changed? No, I've I've paid attention to politics most of my life, and he's been the bold-faced liar from the get-go. I mean, if you if you pay any attention to uh, the news, uh, you know that he began his lying about 45 years ago. Um, he was the top of his class and got yeah. three degrees, if you remember. Yeah. No, that's true. And then and the plagiarism, I mean, there has been a whole litany of things with this guy, but I guess he had something of a, a charm at some point that in some ways seems to be lost these days. Neil, thanks for the call. 833-456-1300. 833-456-1300. What is the single thing? If you had to pick one, and I understand there's quite an array, but if you had to pick one thing that burns you the most, about this president and the way he's governing the country, what is it? Top of your list, 833-456-1300, New York City. Paul, you're on the line. Just like the previous caller, it's the lying. Here's the 11 words that should ring in everybody's ears. No, one said that to me, not that I can recall. Remember? Now, which lie was words, that? When, when George Stephanopoulos asked him, didn't the Defense Department say, suggest to keep 2,500 right. troops in Afghanistan? Right. Biden responded, no one said that to me, not that I can recall. Right. And we have it pretty well established that he was prodded and guided to do that on numerous occasions. He rejected those recommendations. That's his prerogative as commander in chief. He doesn't have to take the advice of some of these military higher-ups or generals, but you can't pretend that no one gave you the advice because it was documented that that was the case, one of a number of untruths and sort of insulting pieces of spin from this president on Afghanistan. To me, and thanks for the call, Paul, if you're going to talk about an Afghanistan lie, I don't know if there's a worse one possible than on Stephanopoulos, same interview, telling the American people in the world, we will not leave Afghanistan until every American is out. And then they didn't. They left with hundreds, probably thousands of Americans who are still there now. That interview was, what, a month ago? 833-456-1300. Let's see. Let's go to Idaho. Jacob, you are on The Guy Benson Show. Thanks for listening. The effect to our world standing that he has uh, accomplished. Most of the other uh, things that he has done, if we get another good president in, you kind of look at uh, what uh, Reagan did when he came on in to be fixed. However, what Joe Biden has done to our world standing, I think, has, uh, has hurt us for many, many years. Um, our allies and our enemies will be thinking every four years, what's the rotation going to be like? Do you think that it's sort of an American credibility issue, first and foremost? Because, I mean, like, he he just um, alienated the French. To me, that was, like, a relatively minor story. But, again, it's building on a, a larger problem that I think you've identified here, Jacob. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, because, like I said, I mean, they're um, not only course of lying. I mean, like I said, the uh, the rest of the world does not take their cues from our uh, our media. Um, they see what's happening, even when he gets together with world leaders and forgets names. And I mean, that that stuff has a lasting effect. 
Um, and even if we get somebody in who's good, that's still going to remain in the memories of our allies and our enemies. Yeah, and I think any time that we're going to be asking people for help in the future, a lot of folks might think twice, even longer than they would have otherwise, because they remember the betrayal of the people who put their necks on the line for us in Afghanistan. To me, that is one of the most damaging legacies on credibility, on honesty, on honor, quite frankly. Jacob in Idaho, I was just in your state for the very first time this summer. I loved it. Jacob, thanks for the call. 833-456-1300. We've got just the calls flying in here on The Guy Benson Show. We will take more of them after a short commercial break. Don't go anywhere. Give us a ring. 833-456-1300. Your biggest frustration or point of anger with Joe Biden. What is it and why? 833-456-1300. It's The Guy Benson Show. Let your voice be heard. Call 833-456-1300. The Guy Benson Show. Living the Bream is a podcast hosted by Fox News Channel's Shannon Bream, sharing inspirational stories, personal anecdotes, and an insider's perspective on actions and rulings from the high court. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. 833-456-1300, your connection to The Guy Benson Show. Lines are jammed. What is your biggest beef, your biggest problem with President Biden, the way that he's leading the country? Let's get to as many calls as we can here in the segment. Leslie in Tennessee, the volunteer state. Leslie, welcome. Hi. Okay, so Tangier, Afghanistan. I've lived and worked there for 12 years and have just recently come back into the state. Um I'm, we're all in shock. We being me and the Panjeri people, who I know quite well, genocide, everybody in the media here, you guys are not covering what's really going on. And we're all in shock. Like we've been abandoned and they're good people. Yeah, it's it's really heart wrenching. And in fact, someone who is covering what is happening on the ground, Trey Yinkst, our foreign correspondent, will join us next hour here on the show. I really recommend the interview, Leslie. Thank you for your call. Bill in Las Vegas, you're next on The Guy Benson Show. Hello, Bill. My biggest difficulty is deflection, his inability to accept accountability for any of his actions, even who he talks to in the press corps. Um, latest example, Afghanistan. We have the, the fiasco over in Afghanistan. Rather than deal with it, rather than handle it, he comes up with a COVID vaccine, vaccine mandate. Now, all of a sudden, the press and all uh, are have Afghanistan in the background, and we're all dealing with a COVID mandate that really right. is and he's, going And he's nowhere. not only doing that, Bill, he's blaming Trump. He's mischaracterizing the previous negotiations with the Taliban as flawed as they were. I mean, every single day, it seems like he's taking some pot shot at Ron DeSantis or Greg Abbott. The deflection and the lack of ownership and responsibility is glaring. And that's another very good answer to this question. Thanks, Bill. 833-456-1300. Sarah is in California. And you're up next, Sarah. Thanks for the phone call. Thank you. Um, My biggest complaint is it's a pandemic of the unvaccinated. And I I think about that all the time. And what about vaccines for the illegal immigrants? What about checking for antibodies? What about following the science? Why are they pushing this on children when it hasn't even been approved by the FDA? Are they doing studies on masks? All of that. 
It infuriates. Yeah, I, I think he remember he promised that he would crush the virus. And then it's been a lot of blaming and anger and finger pointing again, even though some of the things that you just raised, Sarah, are perfectly legitimate questions that you would think the government would be able to answer. And they're answering them insufficiently, incompletely or dishonestly in some cases. So, I mean, it's amazing that it took how many calls to get to covid and the pandemic. But I appreciate that you entered that piece into the conversation because it's very much a viable answer uh, to the question that I've asked. What is the biggest problem that you have of all of them? The biggest one that you have with Joe Biden, 833-456-1300 here at the Guy Benson Show. Sebastian in Colorado. Thanks for the phone call, Sebastian. Welcome. Hey, thanks for having me, Guy. So, yeah, COVID and Afghanistan, that's everybody's. I mean, you can't, nobody can be happy with those. But my biggest frustration personally is, unlike with the last president, Donald Trump, we knew who the president was. You know, he answered questions. Now we have a president who's getting, you know, says, I'm supposed to call on. Or the press corps is pushed out of the room to ask questions. It's like, who's pulling the strings? It's almost like a puppet pirate or a puppet uh, president. Yeah, like who's actually in charge. And I think if you listen to the show regularly, last Friday, a week ago, I was especially charged up because the U.S. government, a whole bunch of stuff was happening with the border crisis. Uh, you know, the French had pulled their ambassador out. The FDA had voted against Biden's a policy on booster shots, and then the government finally admitted that they had accidentally killed 10 civilians in a drone strike, including seven kids, and the president was already off to his beach vacation. He didn't come back till noon on Monday. He didn't answer any questions until earlier today on any of this stuff, and that really bothered me given the severity and the weight of what was happening and his complete sort of MIA, quote-unquote, leadership. 833-456-1300. Let's see. Very quickly, Hayden in Florida, you get the last word. Hi, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Uh, Yeah, me and uh, and my wife are both ex-military, and my biggest thing is, is, you know, how the – what happened with Afghanistan. You know, it just kind of made a lot of people, especially wore that uniform and still wearing it today, it made it really sick. Um, And, you know, that's just – that's kind of my biggest beef with it is just how the military is kind of being treated towards everything going on. I think that's fair, Hayden, and I want to just thank you and your wife for your service and for the phone call here. We appreciate you listening. Rose in Connecticut said it's the border. Mike in Pennsylvania says the drone strike. Greg in St. Louis, the lying. Dave in Louisiana mandates on vaccines. Gene in Georgia says the border and the calls keep coming in. But we're getting to Jesse Tarloff, our guest, coming up next. One of the liberals here at Fox News. I've got some questions for her. We'll see how she'll defend it, perhaps, coming up. Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. Guy Benson. Just past halftime on this Friday edition of the Guy Benson Show. GuyBensonShow.com for all of your program needs, including the free podcast on demand every day. Just a programming note coming up in the next hour. Trey Yingst, who is on the ground in Afghanistan. He's in Kabul, the capital city. He's been there for well over a week at this point. He's doing incredible work, perilous work. He will be here. I have a lot to ask him. You do not want to miss my interview with Trey Yingst, Fox News foreign correspondent from Kabul, in the next hour. 
Right now, let's welcome back in our friend and colleague, Jessica Tarloff, Fox News contributor, head of research at Bustle, and chief romance correspondent also here at The Guy Benson Show. It was also revealed recently, we talked about it on the air, that she is pregnant with her first child. Jesse, welcome back. How are you feeling? Uh, I was just telling producer Christine, I am feeling big and full all the time, but still so hungry, which is weird, but healthy in the uh, in the medical sense. So You're eating for two, right? That's one of the cliches that <laughs> yeah. they use. Have you had any weird cravings? Oh, hot dogs. I, and you're not supposed to eat hot dogs because of the nitrates <laughs> or something, but I, yeah, I'm a Too Diet bad. Coke and hot dog girl anyway. Yeah, hot dogs. But more so than usual is what you're saying. It's oh, just yeah, you yeah, like yeah. hot dogs, but now you need them. I need them, and also it's like during a pandemic, you don't want to be the girl at the like the, the hot dog cart on the street. But things have gotten really perilous for me sometimes, and every time I walk by one, I'm like, eh, I could I could do it, right? You know? Uh, do you have a hot dog brand that you are partial to when you're preparing them at home? Well, I like for grilling. Like over the summer, it was great because I also seem more normal because everyone else was having a hot dog. Um, so I do right. like Nathan. It's less weird. But there's this brand, and I'm blanking on the name. I want to say maybe like Feynman's or something that I just discovered at Whole Foods that is the hot dog of Coney Island. And I didn't know that. And they are delicious and nitrate free, um, which oh, there you go. is important. So, yeah, that, there's, there's a combo for you. Yeah, you mm-hmm. plus baby plus hot dogs. I think we found your solution. I want to come back to some silly nonsense at the end of our conversation, but let's talk okay. politics a little bit, Jesse. On yep. the border situation, and we addressed this earlier in the program with Chris Wallace, mm-hmm. the president and the vice president have both come out and really strenuously condemned this you know, alleged whipping with border agents on horseback To me, it feels like a complete deflection away from the fundamental issues at play and the actual crisis itself. It seems like a lot of people in the media and on the left and certainly within the administration and Democrats in Congress have just decided that these border agents were whipping people with whips. And I have not seen any evidence whatsoever that that actually happened. But it's just like a bunch of people have just decided that it did happen and they're going to pretend like it happened and they're going to talk like it happened and they're going to be very, very angry about it. Can you help me on this? Am I missing something, Jesse? I don't think that you are. Well, I think the image on its face looks very bad, right? So you don't really I mean, we're not neither of us are cowboys or cowgirls, um, so we're not on horses that often and we're certainly not wielding a lasso, you know, a whip or a lasso or anything like that. When I first saw the images, I thought, no, this doesn't rain. That's the word. That's how much of a non-cowgirl I am. Um, I thought it looked bad. (laughs) But then I saw today even that the gentleman who I believe works for the AP who took the photo spoke out about it saying that it had been misconstrued in the media and that it, it wasn't this you know, Customs and Border Patrol on horses whipping Haitian immigrants. Like, that's not what's going Correct, on there. Correct, because it didn't the happen. is very dire. Right. And I think that there's a lot of, more so than usual at this particular inflection moment, and I think because of what's going on with the duality of the border and Afghanistan, that everyone is really in their corners at this particular moment. And that the only effective messaging or, and frankly, what people on both sides of the aisle want to hear is part of what 
now Biden and Harris and Secretary Mayorkas have all said, which is do not come here. This is not the, the right time to do this. Now, whether that works or not remains. No, it's not working. And they're letting know. thousands of them in. Right. So I, just, I understand I, that it's not working, but I'm saying that what people say also matters, because when you're being looked at, you know, when millions of people are looking at the scene and they can at least connect the dots between people doing something that is against the will of the administration versus something that they feel like is being welcomed by the administration, that that's a differentiation. Although it, it seems, Jesse, that the most anger or frustration or severity that has been conveyed by the president on this issue was against Border Patrol agents based on something that they didn't do, right? That, to me, is the very, very bizarre, almost like otherworldly, through the looking glass, disconnect here, where we have a massive border crisis, hundreds of thousands of people coming here illegally every single month, 1.5 million to date in fiscal year 2021, plus a bunch of gotaways, hundreds of thousands of gotaways that aren't in that number, And Biden's out there berating law enforcement officials for something that they didn't do. It's not I'm I don't agree with the full beration duration that happened this morning um, at all on that front. And again, I think it's it's a lot having to do with who people's constituencies are. Right. And who that who they're speaking to and on. And 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 by the way, I think you're right about that. And I just because I want to move to the next topic. I think you're right about that. I think it is absolutely political what they're doing. Their tribe decided that this was a thing. And even though there is absolutely no evidence that this was a thing, in fact, there is countervailing evidence proving that it's not a thing. They're just sticking to it. And I'm just going to say when the Trump administration would dig in on something without the facts on their side, they were being fact checked to within an inch of their life by the media. But in this case, the media has generally joined the chorus of the misinformation. And that's part of what really annoys me about this flare up, which is now what on day four, day five of whips, even though there were no whips. Let's talk about Iron Dome and Congress and Israel and your party. Very interesting machinations this week where the squad sort of exerted their influence and got the Iron Dome funding pulled out of one bill because they had leverage. Pelosi needed their votes, and so she agreed. And then there was a huge outcry, not just from Republicans, but from Mm -hmm. pro-Israel Democrats as well. So they made it a standalone vote. Nine Democrats voted against it. Everyone else voted for it. There was actually one Republican who also voted against it on sort of fiscal grounds, Thomas Massey. But this was basically a squad production. There weren't a lot of them, but obviously it doesn't take too many of them to use leverage when, you know, the, the vote counts are so tight, the margin for error is so slim And we had that very odd image of AOC weeping on the House floor after she, I guess, had to betray her principles, whatever that means, and her friends by voting present as opposed to no on replenishing an ally's defensive system that exclusively serves to save civilian lives. It's just a very, very weird thing for me to watch. Well, I've always felt or since I've been paying attention to politics that the progressive left's relationship with Israel makes zero sense to me uh, because, uh, you know, Jews haven't had a great all along, right? Like it wasn't that many decades ago um, that we were being religiously persecuted, um, put in ovens, and if survived, you know, got out into the world to start over um, in new lands and have thankfully, largely been successful in rebuilding, um, and obviously now with the state of Israel, have 
uh, thriving, you know, Western democracy there that we can call home at any time that we want. Um, but what I thought was particularly interesting about this, um, the whole debate about it, is that there were a lot of national security Democrats who spoke out on both on behalf of the Iron Dome funding with the actual facts about it, which is that this is not an Israel production. This is a U.S.-Israel production that saves Jewish lives, but saves a lot of Arab lives all the time. And that about between, you know, 30 and 40 percent of the population of Israel is actually Arab. There are tons of Palestinians that live there, and they not only live there, they receive benefits from the government of Israel. And this, to me, is one of the largest chasms within the party, even though the squad is a small group. When you look at powerful lobbies, for instance, like the apex of the world, et cetera, you see how pervasive this issue is in American Jewish politics. And I get this all the time as you know, a left-leaning Jew, that there are lots of people I think would naturally vote Democrat that end up voting Republican on the issue of Israel. My grandmother was one of these people. Um, my grandfather canceled her out. He always voted Democratic. Um, but it's one that makes me really sad. And that it's a national security issue. It's not an issue about settlements, right? It's not an and issue. And it's also not offensive funding. weapons. It's it's not, you know, bombs it's purely or defensive. Yeah. it's defensive. And I'm in favor of helping Israel be fully armed to the teeth because they need it to be armed to the teeth, but this is just about defending civilian lives and you have a vocal minority of the Democratic Party, although I'd say quite a lot of people in the base agree with this handful of members where the Rashida Talibs and Ilhan Omar's, I mean, Tlaib came out and slandered Israel again on the House floor. It would seem that they believe dead Israeli civilians is something that they're comfortable with, if not an outcome that they sort of support. I mean, it's 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 harsh well, to say, but that's hard to. Yeah, I'm not I'm not saying I don't know. that one for sure. But, you know, I mean, Rashida Tlaib was asked on, I believe, it was the Intercept podcast about the two state solution. She said she didn't see a way that it could come to be, which a lot of people who would hope for a two state solution feel. And then the reality is that it can't be, but most people that are on the side of Israel. And she said that she was on the side of Palestine, which means that you have a terror organization in Hamas. Yeah, so I think you just kind of no made my previous point for me. If she's aligning herself with a terrorist organization determined to eliminate the state of Israel and her policy preference is basically a one-state solution without the Jews there, I mean, fill in the blanks. I don't think it's terribly subtle what's happening here. And fortunately, well, they got their asses kicked in this vote this week yeah. on Iron Dome. But AOC, who's a hugely influential figure on the left, just to see her apparently, whether it was theater or not, move to tears because she couldn't but at vote least no. It happened. But at least yeah. it happened. That's the thing. Yeah, it, I mean, that's true. The and I'll, I'll give. Bad, but she she went with Pelosi in the end. Well, she voted present, so she kind of well, tried to split it by saying, "I'm with the anti-Israel bigots, but I represent New York City, and I want to have a political future." And so, this is really hard for me. Please console me. Uh, my tears are very, very painful having voting, having felt forced to vote present on a civilian lives saving measure. It's it feels so despicably backward to me. Uh, it is what it is, Jesse. Before we let you go. Let's lighten things up just a little bit on a Friday. I was on the soapbox about this earlier in the week. I want you to weigh in briefly. I am not a Dancing with the Stars fan. I never have been. I never watched it until this past week, and I learned all sorts of things about a show that's been on the air for decades. I was like, wait, you have to call in and vote? That's super weird. Uh, But one of our instructors that we've talked about on Peloton, Cody Rigsby, 
is competing this season. He did okay in his first yeah. attempt, right, his first performance. I don't know what you call his first dance. Fine. My thing is, and I'm rooting for him, and I want him to do well, and I like him on Peloton, and I think that he's a compelling personality. I'm just a little bit, I don't know, I'm confused that he, as a professional dancer, which is what he was for years, it was his first part of his career, his job was to be a dancer. How is it fair for him to be one of the competitors in a dancing competition up against people who have probably never danced in any serious way beyond drunkenly at a wedding in their lives like that. I don't know. It seems like he's got a bit of an unfair leg up. And I say that as someone who's actively rooting for him. Well, it's an interesting angle I hadn't considered. And then when you do think of it that way, you kind of wonder why he didn't do better. Right. Um, though it was a different fair. kind of dance that right. he only got sixes out of ten. Exactly. Um, and I actually, when he dances on the bike, I never feel like he's all that coordinated. So, and I love him, as you do too. And I would recommend, if there are any pregnant ladies listening, a 20 minute Cody Rigsby ride is about all you can do, and it's pretty great. Um, I don't know about the rules on that, but they always have. I, I'm not sure also how seriously, because you do get paired with a professional, how seriously the star, I'm, I'm air quoting, you just can't see me, uh, takes it. Like, it's more for the fun, though, obviously, the further you go, the more money you're going to make. Um, but it does seem like it is a distinct advantage to, you know, that you're not walking in on day one like Tucker did, right, with absolute experience. Like, maybe he danced at his wedding. Maybe he didn't. Right. Um, right. So I, I will definitely ponder Wait, hold up. Further. Tucker Carlson was on Dancing with the Stars? Am I wrong? On, uh, yeah, yes. Yeah. Oh, I I did not see. This is how little I know about the show. Now I have to. I don't know. Fact check me if I'm wrong, but I'm pretty. No, no, no. My team is telling me absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, Now I've got to look this up on YouTube. I was unaware of this, and this has become (laughs) essential viewing for me tonight on this Friday. Well, (laughs) Jesse, go do a 20 minute Cody Rigsby ride, and then treat yourself to a hot dog or four because you will have earned okay. it. Jessica Tarloff, Fox News contributor, head of research at Bustle, chief romance correspondent here at the Guy Benson Show. On a Friday. Happy Friday to you. Have a great weekend, Jesse. Yeah, have a great weekend. And we'll be right back. Guy Benson will be right back. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The One with Craig Gutfeld, the co-host of The Five, like you've never heard him before. You know him. You love him. You want to be like him. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. It's the Guy Benson Show on this Friday. Glad you're here alongside GuyBensonShow.com. Yesterday on the program, we talked with Congresswoman Kathy McMorris-Rogers, a conservative Republican from the Pacific Northwest, one of the few. And she was warning about this bill coming to the floor today on abortion. And I regret to inform you that it passed the House of Representatives on basically exactly a party line vote. Only one Democrat in the House of Representatives saw fit to vote no. Henry Cuellar from Texas, in case you're curious. Every single other Democrat, including these so-called quote-unquote moderates from the middle of the country who want you to think that they're centrists and they're just problem solvers and they're not hardcore out there on the left, they all united to pass an abortion bill that would make abortion legal up until the moment of birth through all nine months across the entire country. It would prohibit states from barring abortion, even in the third trimester, late-term partial birth abortion, completely legal under this bill. Because there's an exception 
in the bill that says if you can find one health care provider, whatever that means, however you define that, if you can find one health care provider who will attest that having a baby will be deleterious to mental health, that is an exception to go get an abortion eight months in if you want to. It is sick. It's actually extremely sick. It is radical. It is so extreme. It is way beyond where even most pro-choice Americans are. I know people are going crazy over the Texas law. We've talked about that here. It's not the way I would have written that law. I think there are some issues with it. This bill that just passed the House of Representatives with every single Democrat in support except for one is an abortion on demand for nine months bill. It is disgusting. It is nowhere near moderate. And yet Nancy Pelosi got them all on side to support it. It will fail in the Senate. I think it's unconstitutional. But I am absolutely horrified by the barbarity of this and how completely contrary to human rights it is. And I have my frustrations with the GOP. I talk about them here sometimes. It's a vote like this today from this radical pro-abortion Democratic Party that guarantees that I will never vote for them so long as this is their posture, this anti-human rights posture. And it's all on the record, every last one of them. And Republicans in these swing districts should batter them over this vote. It's unconscionable. All right, moving on. When we come back, Trey Yingst, our correspondent here at Fox News, is on the ground in Kabul, Afghanistan. We will talk to him and ask him what he is seeing and what he's experiencing. A must-hear interview. Straight ahead. It's the Hammer Time Podcast. Fox News Channel's Bill Hammer takes you one-on-one with engaging personalities covering the critical issues of the day. Find Hammer Time now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. America's listening to Fox News. It's 5 o'clock in the most powerful city in the world, Washington, D.C. It's time for the Guy Benson Show Happy Hour, sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink. Finland's most popular alcoholic beverage has come to America. Visit thelongdrink.com. And now, here's your host, Guy Benson. Final hour on Friday here on the Guy Benson Show. Thanks for tuning in. 3 to 6 p.m. Eastern Time every weekday. And if you miss any of the program, there's a podcast available of the entire thing for free on demand. Plus, bonus Benson on the weekends. GuyBensonShow.com is your one-stop shop for all of it. That's GuyBensonShow.com. And the happy hour sponsored by the Finnish Long Drink, which is terrific. They have officially announced Michigan and have unveiled their product and rolled it out in the state of Michigan with, I've heard, a few more states coming soon. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, thelongdrink.com. You can find out where it's sold near you. You can order online. Thelongdrink.com. Always drink responsibly. 21 plus only, as always. Joining us now from Kabul, Afghanistan, is Trey Yings, foreign correspondent for Fox News. And Trey, it is good to have you here. Guy, thanks for having me. I could not help but be struck by a series of tweets that you published yesterday. In the first one, in a short thread, you wrote this. Thousands of people are still trying to flee Taliban-controlled Afghanistan. U.S. green card holders, people who live and pay taxes in the United States, are trapped. We met a man today who runs a business, 
two businesses in Atlanta. He's stuck with his family right now in Kabul, and you go on to detail some of the people that you've spoken to, including U.S. citizens. I feel like in some ways here in the United States, back home, a lot of people are moving on from this story. I think that's the goal of the administration. The president at the U.N. this week said that he's turning the page on Afghanistan. But for the people that you're speaking with who are stuck there, they don't have an option to turn the page. This is their life. If you would, Trey, just give us some insight into some of these folks, who they are and what they're telling you. Yeah, well, look, President Biden might be turning the page on Afghanistan, but there are thousands of people who call America home. They live there. They pay taxes there who are still stuck in Afghanistan. And that's not to mention the U.S. citizens, American passport holders who are still on the ground, not only in Kabul, but across the country. And it's extremely, extremely dire for these people who are now living among the Taliban. The Taliban controls the entirety of Afghanistan. And you have to consider these people, not only green card holders who may live in the United States or have the legal right to live there, but also people who worked for the Americans in the past are now prime targets for the Taliban. These are individuals who are proud to have worked with the United States, whether it be at the embassy or as translators in the field for the U.S. Army or NATO troops. And they're very vulnerable because you you don't have a, a set directive for the Taliban. So you may have leadership in Kabul saying, well, we're not going to target these people and we're going to basically forgive everyone for working with the people who used to be the enemy of the Taliban. But the reality is that you have factions in the Taliban. You have a, a group that is quite splintered and they do not control all of their fighters. And these people could go after Americans who are still here. They could go after those green card holders. And it's a very delicate and, and dire situation for those who are still on the ground. Trey, it's amazing to look at some of these reports, uh, particularly what you're doing on the ground in Afghanistan, talking to these people who are stuck, who are abandoned. And I know that's how many of them feel. You know, the president made a very clear promise about allies and certainly about Americans and even more substantial promise. And he broke both of those promises in terms of getting people out and evacuating them before U.S. troops left the country. He said today, the president did, he was asked about Afghanistan. He said, look, we're still getting people out of there. Can you tell us what you are seeing and what your reporting is on the progress of getting stranded Americans out of Afghanistan? Because it feels like we're not hearing very much about too many concrete examples of successes. You'll get sort of stray ones here or there, but by and large, we haven't heard very much about how that is looking, how it's going. Can you tell us anything that we don't already know, or is it sort of a holding pattern right now? Yeah, so we've got some new details about this, actually, that we haven't reported yet. We can talk about here now. The Biden administration is still trying to get some of these stranded Americans and U.S. allies out of Afghanistan. And they're working with the Qatari government, a government that has a unique leverage over the Taliban. But you described it perfectly. This has been very sporadic. We've been in Afghanistan for about 10 days now. And occasionally you will see an evacuation flight take off from Kabul's international airport. And most of the time it's a Qatari charter flight. And we did see dozens of Americans and green card holders make their way out of Afghanistan through this evacuation process. And it is in coordination with the U.S. State Department. But over the past several days, those flights have stopped. And we've asked questions not only to the Taliban, but also the Qataris about the flights. And they basically described a situation that is up in the air. There are ongoing conversations with the Taliban about allowing these flights to land and take off. But you have to consider a lot of this is a political process that has many moving parts. There's a security aspect to all of this. The, the Taliban 
is fighting their own battle right now against ISIS-K, a, a group that targeted American troops on the ground in Afghanistan at the end of August, but has now shifted their focus to targeting the Taliban. And you, ha- you have to rely on the Taliban to provide security around this airport. So you have flights taking off with Westerners from Kabul, but you have ISIS-K operating around the airport and across the city. So it's a very delicate situation that presents extremely, extremely high security risks. I want to talk, though, a little bit more about those people that we discussed who are still stuck here, because I think when we when we step back and we look at the Americans and the green card holders and the special immigrant visa holders who are still in Afghanistan, I think it's really easy, thousands of miles away in, in Washington, to say, well, we're turning the page to a new chapter. But the voices of these people are are so desperate. And, you know, we talked to one man earlier in the week and referenced him in, in that tweet thread that we discussed earlier in the show, Guy, and he sent me a photo this morning, and we haven't published this photo yet, but it was of him and a few other embassy employees who made food for the ambassador and for the team that the U.S. State Department had here in Afghanistan. And he said, sir, this is one of my photos with Mr. John Bass. This is the former ambassador to Afghanistan and the man that President Biden now has running these evacuations. And he's in a photo with a man who was left behind. And it really gives you a sense of how betrayed these U.S. allies feel. They put their lives on the line to work with the American government while they were on the ground in Afghanistan, and they were promised safe passage out of the country. This same man showed me an email from the deputy chief of mission at the U.S. Embassy in Kabul promising safe passage out of, out of Afghanistan, out of Taliban-controlled Afghanistan, and he's still here. His family is still at risk, and there are people being left behind. And, and I think the imagery that this, this paints for the United States across the region is significant, and it doesn't just matter right now. It, it matters in the future. When mm-hmm. the Americans reach out to people and ask for help around the world, I think that you will have individuals look at what happened in Afghanistan and say, well, this could happen to me if I help out the United States. No, I mean, it's just disgraceful. The betrayal, another example that we mentioned on this show a few weeks ago was the translator who had actually helped rescue Joe Biden himself and a handful of other senators when they were forced down because of weather in the mountains in Afghanistan years ago in a helicopter. He deployed with U.S. forces to go get them. And he met Joe Biden, and Joe Biden promised that he and people like him would be evacuated, could leave the country, and thousands of them have been left behind. Trey, stand by. Our guest is Trey Yinkst, foreign correspondent at Fox News. He is in Kabul, Afghanistan, conducting this interview. And when we come back, Trey, I want to ask you about how you are getting in touch with people who are stranded, how you are protecting them, even as you discuss these issues with them or even interview them. And then on the other side, how you are in touch with the Taliban and how those interviews go, because it's pretty harrowing from all this distance away to watch. Trey Yangst on The Guy Benson Show. More of this conversation as soon as we come back. The Guy Benson Show. More next. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, download and listen to The Untold Story with Martha McCallum. The host of The Story on Fox News Channel sits down with major newsmakers each week to get their untold story. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. We are back. It's the final hour here on The Guy Benson Show. Happy Friday. With us from Kabul, Afghanistan is Trey Yingst, foreign correspondent here at Fox News. And we were just talking in the previous segment about the thousands of Americans and American allies still stuck in Afghanistan. They want to leave. You've spoken to some of them, Trey. How are you getting in touch with these people? How are they reaching you? 
And because I've seen interviews that you've done where you've distorted voices or you've you know put masks over people's faces so they can't be readily identified should the Taliban come knocking to try to execute them or whatever they might try to do. How do you communicate with these folks? And then when they decide that they want to talk to you or even potentially go on the record or on air, what are the measures that you take to make sure that they are safe, that their identities are protected, that, you know, you're not being followed? I would imagine this is relatively precarious stuff. It's a it's a great question, Guy. And you bring up some really great points. The security situation here is deteriorating every day. And there's a lot about our, our time reporting here that I will talk about more on Fox News when I get out of the country because some of it is is striking how close you are to the bad guys. And when it comes to people who are directly being targeted by the Taliban, people like interpreters and translators who worked with the Americans for the past 20 years, their lives are in danger every day. And to speak with an American media outlet like Fox it's a major risk to speak with any media outlet. It's a huge risk for these people because they could be identified. So we have to be why are really they careful it, before you continue. Why are they taking it? Is it just that degree of desperation? Exactly. They're out of options. They are literally desperate. They are worried they will be killed if they don't find a way out of Afghanistan. And they're willing to risk their lives to tell their story because they are that desperate. And I think that it really gets to the core of what's happening right now. Showing up, I mean, sometimes I'm surprised, and and we have these conversations with people, and they, it, it's quite sad, guy. You know, when you talk to them, because when they realize you're an American, it's the first American they've been able to speak with in weeks after trying everything, after sometimes spending every penny that they have just trying to get in touch with an American, and then they have this moment of hope because they they don't quite make the connection that we are here as journalists. And they say, finally, finally, I've been trying so hard. My family, they're being targeted. I'm getting threats that they're going to murder my wife and my kids. And, and you have to say to them, I'm, I'm really sorry. I'm, I'm really sorry this is happening to you. I want to tell your story and let the world know that this is happening. But I, I can't help you. And I, I don't have the means to do that. And it's heartbreaking because you see the life drain from their face. Mm. Because they realize, once again, they are stranded. And we are not that lifeline, that life raft that they're looking for out of the country, we are simply able to tell their story and we will continue to do that to the best of our ability. But it's really just heartbreaking to to hear how scared they are. Oh, God. I mean, just like gut-wrenching, gut-wrenching to hear that, Trey. And I don't want to press further on the question because I think operational security for you and your team and these people, that is paramount. I think a lot of Americans are curious, right? And just have questions. How are you doing this? And now may not be the time to get into those details. Last question I have for you deals with the enemy, people who are extremely hostile to Americans, who've been killing Americans for years in that region and then in that country. Just earlier today, I was scrolling through your Twitter feed, and there's this video. It looks like you're sitting in a tent. You are breaking bread, and the camera pans. It looks like maybe it's even a phone camera. It pans around, and you are sitting there with Taliban fighters, and you're sitting on the ground, and you're interviewing them, how do those interviews get arranged? And, you know, quite frankly, I don't know if I would have the stones to sit down with enemy fighters and interview them as an American. You are doing it on the ground in Kabul. Tell us about that. Look, I've been very clear with the Taliban. My role as a journalist is not to make you look good. It's also not to make you look bad. It's to tell the truth about what's happening, and it's to hold you accountable for your actions. And I'm not afraid of the Taliban because... I'm here to do a job, 
and I'm here to ask them the tough questions and get the answers that our viewers and our listeners are looking for. So You're not afraid at all? When it comes to interviews, I, I think in many of these situations, showing fear is a sign of weakness. These are hardened mm-hmm. fighters. They spent much of their adult life, if not all of their adult life, and some of their youth with a weapon in their hand, firing it, killing people at close range. So these are really some of the world's toughest people. And I say that not from a place of admiration, but from a place of reality. I mean, these people have spent their entire lives fighting war, guerrilla war, a religious guerrilla war. Many of them, and I would say the majority of them that we talk to are not afraid to die. And when you talk to people like that, you really can't even show fear because they see that as such a sign of weakness. And when it comes to speaking with them, and like we did today, we were in a, a tent in part of Kabul talking with these fighters. And I think there's a tendency for, for people who see this from afar to say, well, there's certain questions you can't ask them or certain topics you can't bring up because it would be too dangerous to do so. Uh, I would politely say uh, that's just not the case. <laughs> I, I'll, keep it, I'll keep it PG. That's not the case. Um, mm-hmm. Those fighters in that tent today, I asked them if they thought it was acceptable to be threatening people who worked with the United States. I asked them about the rights of women under their interpretation of Sharia law, because their interpretation of Sharia law is is not the interpretation that the rest of the Muslim world has. It's an extreme tribal version of Islam. It does not represent the more than a billion Muslims around the world, but yet they use it as a base for their actions, taking women out of government positions, targeting their enemies, implementing these rules in society like banning music and forcing people to have beards and in the past executing people in public. They use that religion and and their interpretation of the religion. I think that's very important to talk about their interpretation of Islam as a means for saying it's okay. And I, I think just to get to the core of it, you have to be very upfront with them about who you are and why you're here. And I've, I've been very clear with them. And, and it happens a lot. It's, you know, I could talk about this topic for a long time, but it happens a lot, these questions from the fighters. I, I remember the first day that we got here, we were at the Polisharki prison, a prison that housed thousands of Taliban fighters. And when they came into the city of Kabul, they freed all of these fighters. And we got to the gates of this prison, and it was not arranged in, in advance. My cameraman and I showed up, and there were a bunch of gunmen waiting at the entrance of the prison. And they stopped us, kind of raising their weapons, not sure who was there. And we ultimately got out of the car and through a translator were able to speak to them. And I explained to them why I was there. And I said, I'm here because I'd like to interview some of you. And I'd like to tell the story about how you freed thousands of Taliban fighters from this jail. And after some conversation and explanation of who we were and, and what we were there to do, They started asking questions, and they said, well, are you going to make us look good? And I said, absolutely not. I'm going to tell the truth. And I think this approach to journalism has given us access around the world because I have the same conversation with the Taliban that I have with Hezbollah in Lebanon, that I have with Hamas in Gaza, that I have with Islamic Jihad. I always have the same conversation, and they always ask similar questions. Are you here to make us look good? Are you going to make us look bad? And I simply tell them, I'm going to tell the truth. So if you kill innocent people, I will report that. If you'd like to work towards a peace treaty and open up your relations with the West and have 
a respect for human rights, I'll report that too. So my reporting is based on your actions. It's based on the truth and it's based on facts. And so far, top Taliban officials in Kabul have accepted those words and they have allowed us to operate here and report the news. Well, it's pretty incredible to listen to the words that you're saying and to think about what that looks like in practice. I cannot along in an air-conditioned studio in the middle of Washington, D.C. It's a very different question on the ground, face-to-face, with hardened jihadists as you prepare to interview them. And you may not evince any fear, so please allow me to worry on your behalf. I will fear vicariously. How about that? And uh, we will continue to root for you, watch your work, pray for your safety, and for your continued superb coverage from on the ground in Kabul, Afghanistan. Trey Yinkst, foreign correspondent here at Fox News. Trey, stay safe. Guy, thanks. It's The Guy Benson Show. GuyBensonShow.com. Happy hour here on The Guy Benson Show. Glad to have you here. And occasionally, we start scratching our heads wondering, we have a vice president of the United States. She seems to have disappeared. She's off the grid a lot of the time. And she'll pop up occasionally with a soundbite or some appearance. But she's in charge of a lot of important things like the border, for example. And we actually came up with a jingle. It's not quite woke tales, but it's also a nostalgic callback to another show of my childhood. Listen. Where in the world is Kamala Harris. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the laugh does it for me. Of that jingle, where is she? Well, we actually had an answer today where she was going to show up on live television and answer questions on The View. She does not do interviews almost ever. Maybe that's a good thing, right? Her sit down, was it with Lester Holt when she went down to Central America? It was just a train wreck of an interview. So maybe the White House is trying to prevent the president and the vice president from answering questions as often as possible. But given the Midas touch that is Kamala Harris and her political instincts and just her luck sometimes. Showing up for The View today, she was backstage getting ready to come out with the ladies and then all hell broke loose on the show. This was crazy. This was live television. Half of the hosts got yanked off stage. Listen to what this sounded like in Cut 16. There seems to be something happening here that I'm not 100% aware of. Can someone please apprise me of the situation? I need uh, the two of you to step off for a second. Okay. Anna and and, uh, and, and we're going to bring you back later. Have to okay. leave. Yeah. Yes. And we'll tell you why. More information later. It's a tease. We'll t- tell you why in a couple of minutes. So shall I introduce the vice president? Yes. Okay. So, vice president. No. No. Nope. Okay. Shall we dance? Let's do a tap dance. Let's do a tap dance. <laughs> what? Let's do a short commercial, we'll come back. Talk about what? What what else can we talk about for uh, hot Okay, oh, as we always do in television, we're in a tight spot. We'll be right back. Okay, so they sent it to break. The producer came out and said, two of the hosts, one of the guest hosts, and then Sonny Hassan, you need to leave the stage. We're not explaining why. Clearly, Joy Behar, that was the voice that you heard, she had no idea what was going on. The audience was confused. They're sort of laughing and clapping at the jokes. And then they come back from break and explain what happened. Cut 17. news story any minute now. What happened is that uh, Sonny and Anna both apparently tested positive for COVID. No matter how hard we try, uh, these things happen. They probably have a breakthrough case and they'll be okay, I'm sure, because they're both vaccinated up the wazoo. You know, a lot of vaccines. So um, 
And, and the vice president is being prepped for her arrival, right? Yep. They cleaned the table. We washed they did the hands. Everybody's getting all cleaned up. And she'll be out here in a second. And then it took a while. Harris finally came out and dumped on the Border Patrol, of course. But you don't see that every day where hosts of a TV show get pulled off the set because they just got the COVID test back. Why didn't they get the COVID test back before they were on the air? That's the other thing that's very odd to me. And then you have Joy Behar, the other hosts who I guess tested negative. They were nevertheless exposed to COVID. So given some of the quarantine rules, especially in schools, for example, do all of the view ladies need to be off for weeks, like a week or two? What's going to happen over there? It was a very strange thing to watch. When we come back, the home stretch, a new member of the team. We can't wait to introduce him. You will meet him straight ahead. You're listening to Guy Benson. Home stretch on this Friday here on the Guy Benson Show. Thanks for being here. Well, as we tease just before the break, we are very excited to welcome a new member of the team here at the Guy Benson Show. We had our tearful farewell. To Max, our trusty engineer for years, all the way back to Benson and Harf. He was here for thick and thin, did a great job, and we already miss him. He's off to the bright lights of television as a booker on Fox News primetime, and he's killing it as we knew he would. But this then required us to replace Max. I know producer Christine would say that Maxie is irreplaceable, but in fact, this is what we have to do. And Justin here at Fox News Radio has been doing just a fabulous job filling in, bridging the gap. He also fills in when people are on vacation, and he's really gotten to know the show very well and has just been rock solid. And we really appreciate all the work that Justin's been doing, and we'll be working with him for sure down the line. But full-time here at The Guy Benson Show, our latest addition is named Dan Overlock. And if you happen to be a big sports fan like I am, and you happen to be a fan of the Dan Patrick show, which is a nationally syndicated sports radio show. Of course, Dan spent a lot of time in his career, Dan Patrick at ESPN as a sort of premier sports center anchor. He's a huge name and he ventured out on his own and has this massive show that he does. He really has a huge audience and a lot of reach in the sports world. Well, Dan Overlock worked with Dan Patrick on that show for a decade And we are very excited to have Dan joining our team as our engineer. And I'm excited to also have like a fellow hardcore sports fan on the crew because with all due respect to Christine and Wyatt, um, not sports fans, not knowledgeable, even sort of in a conversational way about sports. Dan is very, very into sports and comes highly recommended. I actually had a good conversation with Dan Patrick about him. And Dan, your nickname over at the Dan Patrick Show was Two-A-Days. I'm not sure if that will survive the nickname here on the show. We'll see. Christine has a way of branding people in in her own inimitable, special way. But A, welcome. B, where did the nickname Two-A-Days come from? Well, Guy, thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm having a great time here learning and being with everyone here in New York. Um, Two days came from when I started, I was 22 and I had the kind of Bieber bangs haircut. And um, there was an MTV <laughs> show called Two Days about these Alabama quarterbacks. And one of my bosses at my last job thought I looked like one of them. So it just stuck because Dan Patrick's Dan Patrick and I can't be Dan also. So a nickname was extremely necessary. 
Were you okay with that nickname, two-a-days? Were you okay sort of being likened to these Bama bangs-wearing SEC quarterbacks? It was fine at the time because I was only 22. I wasn't much older than them at the, anyways, so it didn't really matter. Um, right. But then it shortened. Yeah, you're a full adult. In, yeah, <laughs> yes. And then it shortened just into twos. So people call me twos with a Z at the end, apparently. Twos with a Z. Okay, yeah. I'm going to write that down. Again, <laughs> I, I can't guarantee you that I will be calling you twos. That's fine. Uh, but it's possible. One other thing that I want to ask you about as we introduce you here to the Guy Benson Show audience before we let Christine do whatever she's going to do here, and I don't even really have great insight. Uh-oh. She just said to trust her, which is uh, usually not a good idea, but we're going to do it for some reason in this final segment of the week. You, if I'm not mistaken, were on American Idol. Is that real? That is real. I did. I auditioned. I didn't get through, uh, but I did the full audition and all the rounds that it takes to get there to be on the television segment. And uh, yeah, it was quite the quite the journey. What did you do in your audition? Did you sing? Did you have a guitar? What did you perform? I sang and played guitar. I did uh, Ed Sheeran, um, one of his first single. Um, I can't remember the name of it, but I, I played guitar on air. It was Harry Connick Jr., uh, Jennifer Lopez, and Keith Urban. Was that back in the Fox era before it shifted it over was, to ABC? It was the last year of Fox, yes. So. And you had a friend, like someone that you actually know pretty well, who actually won American Idol? Yep, my buddy Nick, he won the year before that, and he was kind of the reason why I did it. He uh, came on the show with Dan, and they kind of um, tempted me to go on and, and try it. And he, uh, we grew up together. He was um, my roommate after college, and so they had me do it and uh, didn't get as far as him, unfortunately. Yeah, I guess he won the whole crown. And <laughs> he won what's the whole his crown. Name? Nick Nick Fratiani. Okay, so yep. fans of American Idol will know who that is. I, with all due respect to Nick Fratiani, <laughs> I, I've never heard that name before. I don't think, but fans of the show will know. And you're buddies with him, and you made it all the way through to the audition. And well, we'll have to maybe we'll have to judge. Well, you know what, Christine, the hazing of Dan Two a Day's Overlock is just beginning, frankly, here at the Guy Benson Show. Let's look up. It has to exist on the Internet. His audition, if it was on the show, it's got to be out there somewhere. Maybe we will have to listen to it here on the show, live on the air together, and we, including Quiet Wyatt, the rest of the team, can judge him like American Idol judges. Oh, can and we you do- can be you can be Simon, the mean judge. Just well, don't you. do the accent. No, no, no. I'm Paula Abdul. You're totally oh, Simon, yeah. and seeming like a little drunk at all times. You <laughs> yeah. are Paula. You and are Paula. That's fair. Why it's going to have to somehow be Randy? He just has to say dog a lot. <laughs> Although, I think you as, pull it off. as Dan just told us, those were not the judges. <laughs> <laughs> that actually judged him, right? We're doing even older school American Okay, Idol fine. Judges. I'll be J-Lo if you insist. <laughs> all right. Yes. Yes. Uh, all right. So let's uh, put a pin in the rollout of Dan Overlock. We'll be getting to know him as this show unfolds in the coming days and weeks and months. But, Christine, my understanding is you today want to quiz our new hire, Dan, on what he has learned over the course of his first week at Fox and at the Guy Benson show. And you want to do this in the style of a game show slash pop quiz. So, Justin, if you could hit it. Welcome to Ask Dan, where Cookie will ask questions of our new hire, Dan, and hopefully will not get into trouble with HR. Cookie? Well, thank you, Guy Benson. Uh, Hello, Dan, and welcome. Welcome to the Cookie Quiz Show. Thank you for having me. Okay, so these questions, there's 10 of them. Now, Dan, you've been here for 
about two weeks. I think you've heard a lot of the home stretches and obviously a lot of the shows. I'm not going to quiz you yet on the news. Has it been two weeks already? It has. Wow. I know well, time, time flies. flies when you're having fun and also you're dealing with an interesting cast of characters. As and, I mean, you were thrown right into it with Christine. It's not like working remote or phone calls. You have been side by side there were with a lot producer of, Christine. There were a lot of questions to be answered of things I heard and uh, <laughs> trying to figure out certain stories and backgrounds and, uh, you know. I'll be the one. All right, so how perceptive has Dan been? I guess this is the exercise here. All right, Christine, I'm I'm actually very eager to know if I'm going to have the answers to these 10 questions. Oh, you will. Okay, question number one. What is Guy Benson's favorite drink? Ooh, it's Finnish long drink. Oh, good answer. Oh, that is an excellent ooh. answer. Our but sponsor no. here in the in the happy hour, this, the long drink. Well, I think you need to be more specific. I know what answer I think you're trying to elicit here, Christine. Oh, I do What know. is my favorite soft drink? Soft drink? Coca-Cola? Ooh, close. Oh, no. Coke Zero. Coke Zero. Coke Zero. Oh, boy. I was getting there. I was trying to bide my time with that other answer. <laughs> well, you're, you're 0 for 1. Okay. And All right. I regret to inform you, if you get the next two wrong, you're fired. Okay, oh, go boy. ahead, Christine. Oh, this is a good one. What, quote-unquote, was, and I say was, the name of Cookie's Pony? This one I do know. I was thinking about it on the way in, and it was Carousel, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, well done. Yes. Well done. <laughs> Poor Carousel. Can we, have a, I know. A, can we pour one out? Seriously. Pour one out for Carousel, a little uh, moan of silence. I do every night. Okay, um, number three. I love how Christine interrupts the moment of silence for the pony that she murdered. Go on. <laughs> Dan, who is the golden child on the Guy Benson show? That would be the one and only Wyatt, if I'm not mistaken. Guy can only answer that. That's correct. Oh, yes. I mean, ch- child, he is now 21, okay? So let's watch the language. But, yes, the, the golden boy totally here, Quiet Wyatt, he is looking very pleased with himself through the glass right now here in D.C. <laughs> All right, number four. Where, and I repeat, where did Guy Benson go to college? Well, that would be Northwestern. And he is very yes. upset that I'm a Notre Dame fan, so not a, it's kind of a clash there. Yeah, I, first it place. was strategic mistake to remind me of that right there but yes go cats beat the bobcats get this season back on track please 480 million dollar donation from the ryan family to northwestern new football stadium coming that broke this week i could go on but i won't because it's time for question five what is cookie's favorite booze i believe it's called mama's juice and that would be (laughs) wine i believe yes okay great well hold hold on a second Uh oh Trick question. All of them. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) You could have said anything that has alcohol in it. It's like, is it paint thinner? She's like, occasionally, sure. But it's it's wine and vodka, which she pronounces a very different way, as if there's no D in it. We won't we won't have her say it. All right, go ahead. Question six. What animal does Guy Benson's dog Roy resemble? Oh my goodness. I can't remember this one. We talked about it yesterday. Oh, I don't know. I'm going to have to defer on this one. Remember, he killed the rat. Yeah. Um, He looks as a Bedlington Terrier like a little lamb. 
a little sheep. Oh, that's right. Oh, mm-hmm. I knew that one. All right. And he's just as soft as a lamb. That's the other thing. Plus, he kills rodents. Very cute picture Question on seven. your Twitter. Thank you. Okay. Question number seven. Long-haul truck driver. Aerobics 80s champion. Russian spy. Chief romance correspondent. Which one of these is not Cookie's title? I would say chief romance correspondent. Um, right. Ding. Because she is was a Russian spy, I believe. Was yes. Oh, she was. She was all the other things, and the chief romance <laughs> correspondent is Jessica Tarloff, who was our guest earlier today. So, all right. So, after the uh, the initial whiff on Coke Zero, you're actually doing pretty well here overall. What are we up to now, Christine? Eight. Yes. Okay. This is a true or false. Quiet Wyatt was once on Fox and Friends. That would be true because I did my research before I came here. He got all worked up because he had a. Trump MAGA yes. shirt or apparel of some sort, and it was edited out, right, censored in his yearbook. They blurred out or, or photoshopped it so he didn't have the Trump memorabilia in his photograph and in the high school yearbook, and this became a thing, and he appeared on Fox and Friends a number of years ago when he was a wee child. Question number nine. Where was our radio host, Guy Benson, born? That one is Saudi Arabia. Strange but true. Yes. And people who look me up on Wikipedia know that because <laughs> someone knows that about me and put it on Wikipedia. Wikipedia is such a weird thing. People like writing stuff true, sometimes untrue about you, and you have no control over it. But Greg Gutfeld decided that he needed his entire audience of millions to be aware of that as I was on the panel this week. And he opened with that, that I was born in Saudi. And I had people DMing me like, wait, seriously? Or is that just a weird, like, false thing that someone stuck on your Wikipedia? I said, nope, that is that is a real fact. All right, last but not least, question 10. 5 a.m. walks on the beach. A good cup of coffee. The Wall Street Journal. Rap music. Which one of these is Quiet Wyatt's least favorite? I would have to go with rap music. I think that's correct, except he has participated in rap music. I heard if that. If we want to call it that. With C. Diddy, another oh, another layer to the onion that is producer Christine that you will come to know and love, question mark, over the course of your career here at the Guy Benson Show. All right, by my count, Christine, I think he got a, a 7 or an 8 out of 10, which is a passing grade. And considering all the stuff we've been throwing at him, including how to learn the board and everything that we do here, that is pretty... Pretty impressive. He's been listening carefully. Dan, congratulations. Thank you so much. I think I did well, and uh, yeah, I'll keep learning. Welcome to the team. We are so happy to have you here, and we will bring you into future conversations, especially with that absurd radio voice that you have. I mean, how could we not put you on the air when we talk about abject silliness, as we so often do? Here in the home stretch. we are out of time. It's time for the weekend, in fact. Bonus Benson on the podcast. You can download. You can subscribe. Please do that right back here on Monday for The Guy Benson Show. Have a wonderful weekend, everyone. Good night from D.C. Listen to be part of the conversation with me, Brian Kilmeade. I'll talk about the biggest stories of the day and get your take along with some of the biggest newsmakers around. Listen live on the Fox News app or get the podcast at briankilmeadeshow.com. 
from the Fox News Podcasts Network. Subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a -a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com. Listen to the show ad-free on Fox News Podcast Plus, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music with your Prime membership, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.